0: I am aware of the time. You think, yeah, but what does that matter? (laughs) I aim to prove you right either in your assessment or in your non-assessment. See, there's no pressure for me here. I am aware of the time. Last week we looked at forgiveness. Forgiveness a costly endeavor of debt cancellation that puts us in a whole different economy, really. And we talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you want to hear that, it's on on iTunes. I won't revisit it. But we're going to talk about forgiveness for a few minutes here today, looking at the fact that Jesus embeds a provision for it in our daily prayers. That it's so central to him, so vital to what he's doing, that it's one of the ingredients for this stew of prayer that's supposed to appetize us and nourish us as we go to God. And as we think about that, I'd ask you to think with me for a second about Brian Regan, who's a funny fellow. And he speaks in a way that you might have understood of being at a dinner party and listening to someone regale the group with great tales of their own adventures, the me monster, he calls them. Because every story starts with I, I, me, me, my, 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 and he talks about them dominating the scene. When the moment lulls and there is quiet, he says, I thought I might try sharing a story myself. And so I told my story, and no sooner could I, did I close my mouth than the meme monster pounced and said, Oh, yeah? Well, that ain't nothing. And proceeded to tell us more amped-up tales. He said, I learned that day, you never tell somebody a two-wisdom-tooth story because there's always somebody with a four-wisdom-tooth story who's going to trump you. And I like his idea that how demoralizing it is and how easy it is for the me monster to say, well, that ain't nothing. I got something way better. That ain't nothing. But it made me think, you know, there's something that happens to us in the realm of forgiveness, in the realm of debt cancellation, where we actually become the me monster and have this voice inside us that says of forgiveness, yeah, that probably ain't nothing. Not, not, not anything that applies to me anyway. One of the great impediments, and Jesus implies it by saying, hey, if you don't forgive other people, then I'm not going to forgive you. It's his way of saying, kind of like, hey, if you don't know multiplication tables, you can't do algebra. There's a spiritual unity here that if you're in God's universe and he's taken up residence in you and, and you have not waterproof yourself so that the waters and showers of forgiveness have come to you and, and then they just, they just beat it up and washed off, they haven't seeped into you, then you're not going to forgive others, which means that you're, you're rejecting God's forgiveness yourself. So one of the clearest signs of receiving God's pardon is that you can't help with your newly softened demeanor towards God but share it with other people. And by the same token, when you find yourself in a constant state of grudge nursing, harshness, severity, that you don't repent of, that you feel embedded in, you feel like you deserve to have, then it's a really good sign that, that you've Teflon-coded yourself to God's offer of forgiveness, that you've rejected it but you might not have thought you had. It's your way of saying, well, that ain't nothing. Forgiveness ain't nothing. And one of the things that occurs to us, I think, is that that maybe God's forgiveness seems like something that might not apply to other people, but we have a hard time letting it soak in for us. We know That by his physical sacrifice, we are now free from blemish and without accusation, that he is able to make us stand in God's glorious presence without fault and with exceeding great joy. We have heard these things, but it is hard to get them to stick. You may say, Well, I can forgive other people, I just can't forgive myself. You know that feeling? You've done something bad. You feel the weight of your guilt. It's, it's, it's a stain on a brand new shirt. And you think, I'm not ever going to be able to wear it again, so I have to wear sweaters. Uh, this is not stained yet. But you cover it up and you try to exist and limp along the best you can. But then you're, you're always looking for other people's stains. You think that forgiveness doesn't apply to you. You demonstrate in that manner... What Miroslav Wolf said is the lesson of Judas. You know Judas Iscariot, you've heard of him. The, Judas, the lesson of Judas is that the great tragedy of our lives is committing sin. It's living in rebellion to God, it's choosing ourselves over others in God's ways. That's the first tragedy of sin, and it's a tragedy indeed. But the second tragedy is to disbelieve forgiveness. And the second tragedy is worse than the first. Because you're left in the shivering cold of trying to manage your own deficits before God if you refuse his forgiveness or if you think somehow or another that it doesn't apply to you even though it applies to everybody else. you say, well, that ain't nothing that's for me. And may I suggest to you that in ways that you probably don't identify when it's happening, that when you say, I can forgive everybody, I just can't accept it for myself, that is the, the most humble-sounding thing you could say. The most humble-sounding thing you could say, and it is the proudest thing you could say. It's the most arrogant thing you could say. Because what you're unwittingly saying, what you're saying without realizing it is that God has set up a way to reconcile the world to himself for everybody except for one person on the planet, one exceptional person called me. That his means for healing the wounds of the unwell world Don't apply to everybody without exception. They apply to everybody with the exception of me. It's the height of arrogance. And you might be able to do some judo on yourself when you find yourself unable to accept forgiveness to say, wait a second, wait a second. Don't feel sorry for myself. What I'm doing right now is I'm refusing, as Dallas Willard would remind us, to live by pity. I'm making a colossal error in judgment. Here's what I'm mistakenly coming to believe. I am believing at this very moment that all the relationships that I have are solidified, held together with bonds of loyalty, with the cement of love based entirely on my magnificence. Do you think that? You wouldn't admit it. Do you think that all the people who like you only like you because you're so likable. Now, this, this is going to hurt your feelings. It hurts my feelings to think about. It hurts my feelings to think about that there are people around me, probably my own children. I doubt my wife thinks this way about me. She just thinks I'm awesome. Probably all of you. There are people in my life who love me anyway. Not because I'm so exceptional. Dang it. I wish they loved me because I was exceptional. But in fact, the best relationships I've got, the most loyalty I'm shown, the greatest devotion that I breathe in to make me a person are all because people, they do love me for things that are likable about me, but they also are willing to put up with a lot about me that they don't like so much. I don't like thinking about that, but it's true. And you know what? If it's true for me, it's triply true for you. That's a joke. But it's true for all of you. It's true for all of us. You don't have a relationship, a good one, that's nourishing to you in some way, where the person knows you well, and they only love you because of how magnificent you are. They love you because they have pity on you. They love you because they have mercy for you. They love you because they're putting up with some things and that's how it works with God. And so when we say, I can't forgive myself, we're saying, I refuse to live by pity. I want to live by a different set of rules in the universe. Everybody else, everybody else has to use cash money and credit cards for currency in our economy. I would like to use nah, possum skins. I'm going to start paying for my car repair and my electric bill with possum skins. If you did that, you would be put in an asylum. Or they would think some kind of weird cult that you were a part of. Because you're using a currency that no one else uses. And the currency in God's economy is forgiveness. It's embedded right into the daily prayer. Every single day, I have things I have to name to God for him to wipe clean. Wash me, says David, the adulterer and murderer and king and man after God's own heart, and I will be clean. You are the laundering God who can scrub out the stains in my soul. You can chop off the cancerous cells and carve out the mutations that are mutilating me. Cleanse me and I will be clean. God says, this is embedded into daily prayer. Seek my forgiveness and accept my forgiveness because you are not an exception to it. You need it too. And being able to believe that will require you to name your sins as sins. We sometimes worry when it comes to forgiveness. I talked to my small group about this the other night, and they brought up a really good point. We sometimes worry that if we forgive another, like Jesus calls us to, if you don't forgive them, I ain't going to forgive you. We worry, if I forgive somebody, I'm going to somehow lessen the severity of what they did. I'm somehow going to say, oh, that ain't nothing. That ain't no big deal that they did that. And that's the furthest thing from forgiveness. You realize that? Forgiveness is all about condemnation. What? It's implicit. And by implicit, I mean it's embedded in there. It's part of it, even if you don't say it. When you forgive somebody, including yourself, you know what you have to do? You have to name that a transgression has taken place. If you don't believe me that this is what happens, go up to somebody today and just say, I want you to know I forgive you for being such an intolerable, smug, arrogant person who's so mean to me. And just see how they respond. If they hug you and give you a kiss and say, oh, I've been hoping you would do that. There's an indictment in every forgiveness. Which takes the sin rather seriously. Seriously. And sometimes we, we think that we're going to cheapen the sin by letting somebody off the hook. That Miroslav Volf also says if you can easily forgive somebody, that means you haven't been wounded very deeply. There's some stuff that's easy to forgive because it didn't hurt that bad. The hardest stuff to forgive hurts quite badly. And so you have to name it you're recognizing it's actually quite severe. And that's why it's forgiveness and not excusing. You know? Lewis, C.S. Lewis says in one place, sometimes I realize when I'm praying to God, I'm actually asking him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. You know, like a kid. He didn't use this as an example. I mean, like a kid, or maybe you, have been at dinner sometimes, some inopportune time, and you're drinking your, uh, your IPA, made in you know, the, somebody's bathtub, and you are you're you're laughing and you're listening to each other and it's an important meeting and all of a sudden you go <laughs> and you just like snort out everything and you go oh, excuse me but you don't say forgive me you didn't sin against anybody you did some you couldn't help you laughed and unfortunately you had bubbly stuff in your mouth at the same time you belched you say excuse me it's not that big of a deal. But when you have done something wrong, when you have rebelled, when you've hurt somebody, you need forgiveness. The forgiveness itself says this is an actual debt. It will help you actually own it. If you realize this, that when I'm asking for forgiveness, I'm actually indicting myself, and when I'm forgiving another, I'm indicting them, and I'm saying we're not going to hold me or them responsible. I'm going to let God determine it. I'm going to let him wipe it clean. This will also make you a better apologizer, a better repenter, because you won't say things like, uh, honey, I'm sorry that when I made a joke earlier that you were so uh, sensitive and misunderstood it. That's not an apology, you understand. That's an insult. That's a, you're doing what they call adding insult to injury. I'm sorry that mistakes were made. What? I'm sorry that all of you are so ridiculous and so easily offended. Sin, our rebellions, our injuries, our hurts, that when we're seeing them right and we're going to accept forgiveness, we're going to go to God to ask us to clean, we're going to have to admit if we're asking for cleaning that there's actually dirt that needs to be cleaned. God, I need you to scrub some stuff off of me. And I need you to let me off the hook because I've done some things, made some trouble for myself that I can't shake. You want to help some relationships of yours admit that you actually wounded them and saying it, sometimes saying something out of your mouth, it's terrifying, I, I admit. I don't like the way it sounds if I have to say, you know, I'm sorry I hurt you because... Um, Well, because I wanted to. I'm sorry that I said something mean. It's just that I was trying to make sure that you hurt. Because do you know that you sometimes say mean things because you want to? Because you want somebody else to hurt? Don't act like they're misreading it. Admit it. And then receive God's forgiveness for the actual crime, because he said he would. If you start to feel this in yourself, you start to believe that this is happening, you will notice yourself being way less cynical and snarky and severe towards other people. You will be able to forgive others. And of course, Jesus isn't saying here that forgiveness is an utterly conditional thing. You're saved by grace except for your magnificent power of forgiveness. If you forgive men their sins, I'll forgive you. If you don't, I won't. He's saying, like he says in other places, I'm looking for family resemblance here. Anybody anybody who's drunk deeply at the well of my mercy, anybody who's decided to stop trading possum skins instead of dollars, instead of using my currency, which is forgiveness, this is how it works in the divine realm, then you're going to start having a softening you're going to start realizing that other people need mercy from you like you need it from them and you need it from God. And you won't say that ain't nothing. There's a scene, and I'm stopping here. There's a scene in Marilyn Robinson's book, Home, where this old Presbyterian minister had a wayward son. He comes back. And this man has prayed for this day, and he's looked forward to this day. And, and they've had a conversation, and he rebukes him. He's sharp with him. And he says, I'm sorry, son, I think I was cross with you. Cross is an old word, means angry, right? I think I was cross, and the boy said, I I had it coming. And his father said, no, 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 this isn't how I wanted things to be. I promised myself a thousand times, if you came home, you would never hear a word of rebuke from me ever. No matter what. And he said, I don't mind. I deserve the rebuke. And the old man said, you ought to let the Lord decide what you deserve. You think about that too much, you know, what you deserve. I believe that is part of your problem. And Jack smiled, I believe you may have a point. And the old man said, nobody deserves anything. Good or bad, it's all grace. And if you accepted that, you might be able to relax a little. What Jesus is hoping to do by bidding you to pray for forgiveness, by bidding you to receive forgiveness, by bidding you to act as if it's something, by giving it away, is helping you to get out of this realm that says people deserve what they get. Nobody gets what they deserve. And few people deserve what they wind up getting, for good or bad. We live by the pity and the mercies of Jesus Christ. You know Louis Zamperini. You saw Unbroken or you read the book. Had the most atrocious time in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And he had a torturer there named The Bird, that was the nickname for him, who made his life a torturous nightmare. So much so that when he got released, he was back home, he took up drinking. this man he dreamt about him every night. He dreamt about the, the pain and the, and the suffering and the degradation and the dehumanization that happened. He dreamt about him and dreamt about him and dreamt about him, and then something happened to him, and eventually he wrote him a letter and he said, "I want you to know something. You were awful to me." But something happened to me. I had a confrontation with God had a Billy Graham crusade and committed my life to Jesus Christ and something changed and I know now that I have forgiven you. I don't hold it against you. Maybe he said, I love you. And I love that language because if you're struggling to forgive somebody, if you've got resentments and anger, if you're struggling to receive it yourself, what you need is a confrontation with God. Because He's the one who can clean you. And that confrontation is with God through Jesus Christ, who has stood in your place and has said, your sins, as I said a few weeks ago, may either reside and remain on your head, or they can be on mine. And if you put them on me and entrust yourself to me, then go and be free and help others get out from underneath their sins too. Even the ones that cost you something. And if you're stuck, you're really stuck. I know I'm going long. See, I told you. Either way. If you're really stuck, can I tell you something to try? The one... Not the one, but one powerful tool that got lost in the Reformation. You've heard me talk about it before. The power of confession to a brother, to a sister, to a wise elder, to a pastor, to a counselor. The power of naming the sins you dread to name. You fear to name, that continue to have power over you. Maybe you're extending self forgiveness to yourself. If you can say, Oh God forgive me and you name the the most awful things and you don't tremble at all before him, but the thought of saying it before another person makes you need makes you scared. Then maybe you're not confessing before the true God. Maybe you're not having a true confrontation with the God who can take your sins away. So sometimes what's helpful is to get with a brother or a sister. Like I said, someone wise who can hear you name what seems so dreadful, what keeps eating your lunch, what you can't shake, what you can't accept. And to let them hear you and not run away. To let them hear you and not go, you did what? Instead to say, that sounds familiar because I, too, sit beneath the cross of our Lord Jesus. to Someone who can listen and grant you the grace of certainty of God's forgiveness that comes often through confession. Do you know James said, therefore confess your sins to each other that you may be healed. This ain't no solitary affair. We're a community of forgiveness. It's the air we're meant to breathe and to share. And our Savior doesn't want you to say, that ain't nothing. Because the world needs it. He died to give it. Now it's for us to accept it and to distribute it. Amen.